Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. So I've told the story before, but I just couldn't help but share it again as it pertains to the message today. I, I don't remember not playing the piano. I don't remember a time when I didn't play the piano. And, and I've always loved to play. I, even before I had lessons, I would sit and try to figure out melodies by using my ear. And my mom has told me that even at two years old, I would try to do some of that. She would sit me at the piano and I would work, it, I would hit it. And I just enjoyed it so much. I never remember not playing. And when I became old enough, my mom allowed me, my parents allowed me to take lessons from a little old lady who lived in a nearby town, in a small town, uh, and she only charged a buck a lesson. Now you know how old I am. No, that was really cheap even back then. Her name was Corrine Timms. She was a sweet old lady who lived in this little tiny house in Iona, Minnesota. She put up with me as I was a little bit stubborn about practicing, and I always, she always tried to encourage me in my playing, and I, and I think I took lessons from her for about five years, and then I quit, although I continued to play and build on the basics that she had taught me. Years later, married to Alyssa, and youth pastoring and worship leading in South Dakota, I found myself back in Iona. I was there for a family reunion, as this is where my grandpa lived and near so many of my relatives. During the reunion, I had a thought. I was sitting there, and it was, you know how reunions get. Maybe it was starting to become a rebellion, a family rebellion instead of family reunion. Anybody ever have one of those? Or maybe I was just bored. I don't know. But I was sitting there, and I thought, I'm going to go over to her house, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just thank her for teaching me piano. I just, I just had this overwhelming desire to do that. And it was only a few minutes' walk across the entire town. So I walked over, and again, it only took about five minutes. And, and I just wanted to see if she was still living there. I didn't know. I hadn't seen her for years. And again, I just wanted to thank her and let her know that I was still playing, that, I was, that, that piano had become a big part of my life. I knocked on the door. I waited, and when it slowly opened, before me stood a white-haired lady who was bent over and could barely walk. It was Corrine. And I hadn't seen her for about 12 years. I said, hello, Mrs. Timms. You probably don't remember me, but you used to give me piano lessons when I was a kid. And she looked up at my face and said, Barry. I was shocked she knew me. And as she invited me in, I began to thank her for teaching me piano and letting her know that all her patience with me hadn't been wasted. She was so interested and seemed truly blessed to hear about all that I had been doing, and especially that I was in ministry and playing piano in the church. That excited her. She had me play for her, and we just had a wonderful visit. And as much as I feel that she was blessed by me going over there just to thank her and take the time out to see her, I was the one who felt blessed as I walked back to my family reunion. I felt so blessed overwhelmed. And there's just something about choosing to have an attitude of gratitude that powerful, it, it powerfully affects your life. There's something about it. There's a blessing that comes with walking in the attitude of thankfulness 
instead of slipping into our natural complaint mode. Whenever we are truly thankful, even during tough situations or horrific circumstances, it's like the presence of God is just ushered right into our hearts and lives. It's amazing how it works. Psalm 104, 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And make no mistake, having that attitude of gratitude, that thankful heart, it's a choice that we make on a daily basis. And actually, it's probably a choice we make on an hourly basis. Maybe even by the minute as we live our lives. I had made a choice that day to just give thanks where thanks was due. And I'm still being blessed by how powerful it was for me personally to do that. And by the way, I'm still learning how to walk in that attitude all of the time. And not just in those few moments where I somehow stumble into doing what's right. Anybody ever, anybody know what I'm talking about? There have been many times in which thankfulness was the last thing in my heart. Complaining about this or that, murmuring to God about my plight, grumbling about this or that person. Nobody in the church. (laughs) And I know that nobody here has ever done anything like that before, right? Just me. I just want to be really, I, I just want to come clean today. I want to confess my sins to the entire body. I'm guilty of not being thankful sometimes, of slipping into that complaint mode. And, and I ask this question, why is it so easy to fall into this thanklessness kind of thing? Why does it seem so natural to go there? Why does it take constant effort to live in thankfulness? to see the blessings in everything, to understand and believe that the glass is half full and not always half empty. I want to share about some dudes with toods this morning who clearly displayed some great attitudes, 10 dudes to be exact. But as we go through the scriptures today, there is one out of the 10 who displayed an exemplary attitude that the others did not. He was thankful. So let's look at Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 14. We're going to start, I'll just read it right here. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So let's jump into this a little bit this morning. As Jesus was traveling toward Jerusalem, he enters a small village on the border of Galilee and Samaria, and he runs into 10 men whom the Bible describes as having leprosy. The 10 lepers were dudes with good attitudes, and some of you who haven't been here maybe for a couple weeks, I'm in a series called Dudes with Dudes, and these were 10 dudes with good dudes. I talked last week about who? Oh. 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 The rich young ruler. And Jacob before that. Not Jacob. Pastor Jared talked about Jacob. I talked about Jonah. You're on page. All right. Don't do that to me. I'm going to be 50 in a few months. My heart can't take it. These were 10 dudes with good dudes. And here are a few of those uh, 
those good attitudes. And you can, you can get this from just a few verses here. We can see that their attitudes were right. They received their physical healing. We know that already. And, it, and they received that, at least in part, I believe, as a result of having those good attitudes. So number one, here's one of the, the attitudes they had. They submitted to their authorities. They submitted to their authorities. They probably heard that Jesus was coming their way, and they positioned themselves to be near Jesus when he walked by. The Bible says that they stood at a distance. We just read that. They stood at a distance from the road or path that Jesus was on, and they waited for him to come by. This is what was required of them, this distance thing, to stand at a distance. It was required of them as lepers. There were, there were laws against those who had leprosy. The Mosaic law of the Old Testament said that anyone with leprosy, and this is kind of harsh, but they said anyone with leprosy must wear torn clothes. They were to keep their hair unkept. They had to cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. If they were in public at all, they had to do these things. And as long as they had the disease, they remained ceremonially unclean. Lepers were often forced to live together in seclusion far away from the general public. They were outcasts. They were quarantined. Some of you are laughing. In Jesus' time, it was often considered, they were often considered diseased because of their own behaviors. So if their leprosy, if they had leprosy, it was like, well, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned because God did this to you. That was kind of a common thing. So get out of our midst. You need to go over here and be, be all alone and live with these other people who have this horrible disease. And leprosy was a horrible, horrible condition. In, in fact, it still is, although it's, now it's curable. There was no cure back then. People with leprosy had a horrific odor about them. And that's probably why they were quarantined and forced to separate from loved ones and live in seclusion. These guys were submitting to the law. They had leprosy. All these laws were in effect, but they were submitting to the law of the land in reference to their disease and how they were supposed to behave. They stood at a distance. Understand, that took some self-control. If you meditate on these verses at all, and this is how the whole Bible is, if you take time to read it and just sit in the presence of God and listen, he will speak to you unbelievable things. Unbelievable things. And as I was sitting there thinking about this, I was like, man, that took some self-control. And my mind went right to Luke chapter 5, which is previous to this. We're in Luke chapter 17. It's probable that these men heard about Jesus and that he had already healed a man with leprosy. Give you Luke chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. He touched this man with leprosy, with this condition. He said, I am willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Jesus had not only already healed this horrible disease in another person, he touched him when he was covered with leprosy. It was an advanced case. It wasn't supposed to be touched. These 10 men could have just ran up to him. I mean, they hear about Jesus is coming, and you can imagine their whole world was being controlled and shut down by this disease they had. 
And they hear Jesus is coming. They probably know, and I'm speculating there a little bit, they probably know that he has healed this other guy. I mean, word of that kind of stuff travels quick. And they're like, it's Jesus coming. Let's, let's do this thing. Let, let's get in the path. But they didn't stand right in the path, did they? They stood at a distance. I, I can just imagine their anticipation, their desire, their desperation to reach out and just, man, Jesus is coming. It's going to change everything. It's our only hope. And yet, they didn't lose their self-control. They followed the authorities They followed the law that was over them, that God had put over them, and they stayed at a distance. They submitted. Let me say this. Submission is a key ingredient to our successful growth as Christians. We are instructed by Scripture to submit to one another, to submit to the governing authorities, as long as they don't want us to submit to sinful ways. We're called to submit to governing authorities, to submit to God himself. You really can't live the Christian life without submission. Submission is very important. These guys had the right attitudes about submission. They were willing to come underneath the authority that God had placed over them. This was part of the reason they all received their miracle of healing. I I believe that with all my heart. It was part of the reason. I mean, these guys were kicked out of their livelihoods, separated from their family and friends, completely ostracized by their communities. There had to be this desperation. And again, I I can't say this enough. What self-control it took to know that the answer to all their problems was walking down the road, and they stood at a distance so that they could submit to the authorities that had told them what they had to, and how they had to behave, what they had to do and how they had to behave. And they did that, all 10 of them. It's a good attitude. They had the right attitude about submission. Number two, they they recognized Jesus for who he was. You might remember the message last week about the rich young ruler and his attitude. He called out to Jesus, good teacher. You remember that? But notice the difference here. They cried. It says all 10 of them cried, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Master. They were acknowledging that he was God and that they were his servants, They were essentially saying that they understood who he was and that they believed he was everything he had said he was. They were acknowledging that Jesus was more than a good teacher. He was their master, their savior, their only hope in this case. I mean, they were saying this is, they they were acknowledging him as the one who had calmed the storms, the one who had fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, the one who healed the demon possessed, the one who had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. All happened prior to this event. And I'm sure that knowing about, again, the other man being healed of the very thing they suffered with leprosy strengthened their belief. It raised their level of expectation to the place where faith took root instead of fear. Everything about their situation was producing fear. You have to understand that. I, I think we can relate with that, can't we? But fear is no match for faith when faith gets a foothold in your life. And in the same way, faith can become weakened or even destroy our, be destroyed when we allow fear to get a foothold. That's why it's so important to fill and surround ourselves with his goodness and constantly remind ourselves of the good he has poured out on us, being thankful. Philippians 4.8 says, 
And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about such things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Do you know why it's so important? And I, I, I'm gonna say, I gotta say this first. Those of you online this morning, thank you for joining us. We are so appreciative and appreciative of all the team that puts this on. I don't know how many it takes. It's like 12 people a Sunday or something like that. 12, 15 people to make online campus happen. And I appreciate that so much. I appreciate it the day I was sick on Sunday and got to sit in my living room and worship with you because of the technology we have and the efforts of these people that do it. And thank you for joining us. Some of you, we find out that you've been joining us every single week for almost a year or more, and we are so appreciative to that. But I, I don't, I, I need to say this, and it's no, no put down on anybody that watches online. We love you online. We love you. We love that. But there's nothing like being with Christians. There's nothing like coming together into his house and being with one another. You know why? Because we can share our triumphs with one another, our joys, our testimonies. That builds faith. That builds faith and allows fear to just be dispelled. It causes fear to just be dispelled. And, and it's, 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 you know, of the utmost importance for us to share continually and get really good at and talk about all the time what God is doing for us, what he's done for us, sure. We can talk about that all day long, right? But what's he doing for us right now? To make an effort at recognizing that all the time. It builds your faith. And you'll start believing that Jesus is really who he said he was. That's what happened with these guys. They believed that Jesus was the great physician. He was the very son of God. They wouldn't have positioned themselves on the road in his path if they didn't believe that. So, yeah, they had a great attitude about submission. They had a great attitude as far as belief and understanding and recognizing who Jesus was. They believed in him. They believed him. They believed what he said about himself. And three, they obeyed him. They obeyed Jesus. When you truly believe that Jesus is who he really says he is, when that's way down deep within just the foundation of your being, then, then obeying him becomes a lot easier. The scriptures record that upon hearing the words of Jesus, these guys, they didn't argue they didn't question, they, they didn't say but or what if or anything. They simply obeyed and did exactly what he had told them to do. Luke 17, 14 says, he looked at them and said, he said, remember what, remember what they said? Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Boom, one verse. Happened quick. Doesn't say they did anything, they just did what they were told. As they went, they were cleansed of the leprosy. I should mention here that Jesus was acknowledging the governing authorities as well here. The priests were the ones who would medically look over those with leprosy and declare them clean. This is a great scriptural reason to have your healing verified by those in the medical field. When it's verified medically, then God receives glory all the more. And why do I say that? Because I've heard Christians imply that going to a doctor is having a lack of faith, as it was uh, 
the, the words of Jesus to these guys, I say that it's good enough for us to go to the doctor. It's a good thing to go to the doctor. It's not a lack of faith at all. It might verify the healing that you've received. Hopefully it will. All good things come from the Lord, even doctors. Can you say amen? amen. Are you thankful for our doctors? And let me just say something. They're in a tough spot right now. You know, some of you are mad at them, but, you know, from time to time. I, I get that, but, but it's not always them that you should be mad at. We've got other things going on other than that. They're just doing their best to help people as much as they can. Caught in the middle, so to speak. According to Scripture, these ten didn't say anything. They just headed to the priest as Jesus had instructed. I wonder when they received their healing. I wonder when the exact moment was. It, 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 was, it was clearly after they began their walk to the priest because it says, as they went, they were cleansed. Was it the first step, the second step? Was it a half mile down the road? I, I don't know. It doesn't say. But they were obviously taking the steps of obedience, putting feet to their faith, and doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And it took, at least in part, an attitude of obedience for them to receive their healing. If they would have said to Jesus, oh, we're just going to hang out here for a while. We, we think the priest is going to come by next week, and so we'll show them then. Think they would have got healed? They were obedient. They stepped out in obedient faith, and they were healed somewhere between where they had heard Jesus speak to them and where the priest was at. These 10 lepers had, had amazing attitudes. They displayed the attitude of submission, the attitude of belief, and the attitude of obedience. And the miracle they were so desperate for came to pass. They were all healed of this awful condition, completely healed in a moment, set free from the bondage of their disease. They were made whole, and they now would have their lives back. This is a big deal for them. Great attitudes will always put you in a position to receive all that God has for you. And that's certainly the message within these scriptures. And I'm not saying you earn anything by having a great attitude. I'm just saying you miss it when you have a crappy attitude. But as Paul Harvey famously used to say, and now it's time for the rest of the story. Yeah, some of you young people have no idea how they knew that, but <laughs> there's these things that, that we used to own called radios. Maybe you still have those in cars, don't you? We don't use that thing. I don't know what that is. Yeah. He was a great, a great orator, if you will. But he'd tell these stories and he'd say, now it's time for the rest of the story. So let me finish reading the scriptures regarding these historical events. Luke 17, 15 through 19. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting. He came back to Jesus shouting. He came back to Jesus Right. He didn't, genu he didn't genuflect in silence. He didn't quiet himself before the Lord as he came back. He shouted. And I dare you 
to be a person who has leprosy and your whole life is destroyed, everything is gone, you only have death to look forward to, you won't be in pain anymore at least, right? And when you're completely healed in a moment that you don't shout for joy for what's been done, I mean, that'll get, that'll, that, that's gotta do something to you, right? It would do something to all of us. He shouted, praise God. Sorry if I blew up the speaker. We'll get new ones. Praise God, he said. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, I, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you whole or has healed you. As I said before, every one of these 10 men displayed great attitudes, but the one out of the 10, the one that came back when he had realized that he had been healed, he displayed an exemplary attitude. Better than great. He had displayed a fourth attitude that the others did not. He was thankful. He was thankful. This man showed the attitude of gratitude. Before he had even arrived at the priest, he turned around, left the others, and thanked Jesus. And I want you to think about this a minute. Again, if you just meditate on some of these verses, God just begins to reveal things to you, and it's awesome. You just realized that the greatest thing that could ever happen to you has just happened. And instead of going and getting permission to enter back into life, instead of going to get the permission needed from the priests to be with your family again, this guy puts it on hold to go spend time thanking Jesus. Did it even cross the other nine's minds? We don't know. We aren't told. But what we are told is that this guy was so thankful that he fell at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him for what he had done. The one out of the 10, was so grateful that he put enjoying his blessing of healing on the back burner and gave thanks where thanks was due. I think the nine get a bad rap sometimes because they weren't thankful, but they did display good attitudes in other areas, and they did receive their healing. But maybe we can relate to this in the fact that there are so many good, upstanding people in the church, people that are truly saved and that are on their way to heaven, people that display great attitudes, but who miss the fullness of their own potential in Christ because they forget to go the whole nine yards. We don't know anything more about this man. Scriptures don't tell us that he somehow received a larger blessing or more complete healing because of his thankfulness. In fact, it doesn't really say anything better happened to him at all. But Jesus' heart is revealed here. It's revealed to us in the question that he asked the one out of the ten. He seems to, a, a little taken back that the other nine didn't come back, he said, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? This thankful man who returned was Samaritan. And that, that's important to, to know. It's important, I mean, whenever there's details like that in Scripture, you should pause and go, why, why is that in there? Why is that important? Just, just for extra information to make the Bible longer and more difficult to read? No, there's a reason. He was an unlikely man to come back. 
And the nature of Jesus' question implies that he may have been the only Samaritan within the ten. We don't, we don't know for sure, but he says, except this foreigner. Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were considered outcasts from the rest of the Jews, and the two groups of people literally hated one another. Samaritans were outcasts from the Jews. They weren't real Jews in their minds. And the fact that he was probably an outcast times two, and I say that, I'll explain that in a minute, but that may have something to do with the fact that he was the only one who came back to thank Jesus. He was an outcast from the Jews because he was born a Samaritan. And then he was an outcast Samaritan because he had leprosy, an outcast times two. It's interesting how those who have suffered the most loss seem to be the most thankful and appreciative when they receive. The Bible says this, Luke 7, 47, and I'm connecting something here. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And this is, of course, in reference to the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Whoever has been forgiven much loves much. Whoever's been forgiven little loves little. I think that correlates with what was going on with the Samaritan. He had been an outcast twice, and so he was more thankful. He'd felt that pain more than once. And leprosy, as a picture of sin and how it starts as an infection inside us and, 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 grow and goes unseen until it can no longer be hidden as the inevitable oozing sores begin to manifest. There's a, there's a correlation between sin and leprosy in the Word of God. Most of you probably know that. I could preach a whole series on all the things that lock those two together. But just to give you some brief things here, your sin will always find you out. Your leprosy will always find you out eventually. Starts off inside, but then it comes out somewhere some, along the way. Leprosy begins to numb you and bring about all sorts of pain, emotional and physical. It, in fact, it says, they say of leprosy that it numbs your skin so much that a lot of the sores that, that people got were due, and they didn't heal, but a lot of them they got, they burned themselves or, or cut themselves and didn't even know it. And then those would get infected because they were numb. Isn't it funny how sin numbs us? It numbs us to the place where we don't even know it's destroying us sometimes. Leprosy can change how your speech is, and so can sin. I mean, when you have sin in your life and it's just running rampant and you're letting it be there, your, your speech begins to go south. And, and the opposite's true. When, when you come to Christ and you become more and more like him and you, you leave the sin behind, your speech changes, doesn't it? How many had their speech changed? Well, that's just a very true thing, right? I mean, it's one of the first things. You just, whoa, I can't believe I kissed my mom with that mouth. And then you start... I don't kiss my mom that much, but, you know, it's the saying, so, you know, don't, don't get weird on me. But even leprosy will attack the vocal cords and create this raspy voice. And so it affects speech. Sin affects speech. 
Okay, it might be a little bit of a joke, but it, it, it's true. The rancid smell of, of, of leprous sores became somewhat tolerable to the individual after time, but even others with leprosy were repulsed by the individual smell of the putrid, rancid stink of another person's leprosy. That, that, that was just true. Sometimes sinners are so repulsed by another's sin that they just justify their own sin. I see that happening in the church today. As the dark gets darker, oh, we're so repulsed by it. Oh, look at that, look at that. Look at how terrible that is. That is horrible. Can you believe they do that? Justifying our own sin back here, which is just, just as poisonous as that. Leprosy would get into an individual's house, into their walls, into their clothing, into their belongings. Sin does the same thing, and that it causes changes in how modest we dress. And the spiritual atmosphere of our homes, what we allow in, what we watch, what we see, all that kind of stuff, what we do in the privacy of our own homes. No leper could cure themselves, just as no one can overcome sin in their own power. Jesus, our high priest, is the only one who can declare us clean from, and, 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 and declare us free from its power. He's the only one. And I can go on and on about the, the, the inner linkings. I'm just not going to do that. I think the point's made. Those who have been forgiven much seem to love much. This Samaritan, this one out of ten lepers, he loved much, so much that he came back and he thanked Jesus for what he had done. All ten submitted. They all believed. They all had attitudes of obedience. But only the one out of ten came back and displayed the attitude of gratitude. As sinners who have found the mercy of his forgiveness, he has cleansed us from the leprosy of sin. He has set us free, church. The rancid, festering sores of pride, envy, greed. He's delivered us from the stench of lust and laziness. He's led us out of the darkness of infectious hate and bitterness. This is our Jesus. This is our high priest. He has healed us of leprosy the leprosy of sin. He set us free from it. When I uh, went back to thank my piano teacher, she began to tell me through tears how much she had prayed for me. I didn't know that. She said, I prayed for your family. I prayed for you. I didn't know she was even a Christian. It's interesting, at that, it's interesting, at that time, my family nor I was saved at, back then. She said that she would stand behind me and pray for me under her breath while I played during my lesson. I don't think she cared how bad I was. She was just so busy praying for me. I wondered why she was so nice to me when I never practiced. <laughs> I wasn't there to learn piano. I was there to be prayed for. I remember her hand on my shoulder. I didn't know why she did that, but I know now. Little did she know that her prayers were answered and the efforts of a little old lady who charged a buck a lesson would result in my family getting saved. I believe her prayers were intricate for that. I also found out that that day, that same day, that her nephew, who worked in the district office of the Assemblies of God in South Dakota, was currently my youth director, and he was encouraging in ministry. There was a family connection there I knew nothing about. 
He also was the one who was preaching when Alyssa rededicated her life to the Lord, her nephew. He didn't know about his aunt ministering to me back then, and, and she didn't know about him ministering and what I was doing underneath his ministry, and yet they were a saved, born-again family. The day that Alyssa rededicated was the same day that she started to think of me as someone she might want to date. So this is all pretty important to me. Dave Timms was his name, our district youth director, her nephew. He had no idea this little old lady had been praying for me as a little boy. I tell you this because I, I only know it because of one reason. I had an attitude of gratitude and I went and thanked her. I wouldn't have found any of that stuff out. That's why I was so blessed in visiting her. When I was walking back to the reunion, which I find they're great, whatever, I was so blessed. I was blessed beyond measure. You see, when we are thankful, it just invites and ushers in the presence of God. And we're just blessed, church. There's a key here to staying in God's presence. Have that attitude of gratitude. Be thankful. He will show you things. He will reveal things. He will, he will help you uh, understand things that have gone on that you didn't know anything about, and you'll just be overwhelmed and feel so blessed. And I think, of course, it happens when we have that thankful attitude towards God himself, but it also happens even when we are thankful to other people. We are new creations in him. We have been set free, and we have been given new lives, lives that have purpose. We have been given abundant lives full of adventure, and we can now live out the dreams he dreams for us, church. We get to build his kingdom until he returns. We don't have to live a life of loneliness, sequestered and quarantined. People who don't know Jesus are dead spiritually and they don't even know it. We are alive and we get to live in the fullness of everything that God has for us, church. And being in full knowledge of all that he has done, how can we keep from being thankful? Worship team, prepare to come up because we're about ready to sing. How can we keep from being thankful when we know these things? This one out of 10 was a dude with a great attitude. And if you're like me, you've been forgiven much. So let's not hinder in any way at all our display of gratitude and thankfulness to the one who has done it for us, the one who's done it all for us, the one who died for us, set us free, changed us, turned us around, made us who we are. His name is Jesus. That's who's done it, right? I mean, can I be really truthful without being discouraging to anybody? Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you for make an appointment, okay? Because the rest don't want to hear it. Can I be really truthful? When I say things like that, my staff goes, ooh, oh no, what's he going to say? And my, and my wife goes, ooh, what's he going to say? Maybe they're used to it by now, I don't know. But when we come into this place, when we come into this house, which is his house, put on your garment of praise. I love every single one of you, and I know we all worship differently. That's fine. 
I know some of you, man, you're just at the height of praise when your hands are in your pocket and you're going like this and not moving one muscle. But I don't believe it. I mean, this, 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 shouting into it a little bit. I'm not trying to whoop up the saints in any way at all. I just want real exuberant praise that supersedes what your flesh wants to do because you know how good God is. I mean, I'm not talking about just for today. I'm talking about next Sunday when we get into this place. And I think you're leading worship, Devin, right? Wouldn't it be fun? Uh, you are now, right? I'm talking about when she, when she gets up and we start that first song, man, there is so much praise energy in this house that it can't be contained. That's what his people need to be doing, especially in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in our world. The darkness gets darker, man, our praise gets louder. You hear what I'm saying? I get that people can worship any way they want. I I get that. I'm not trying to take away or or make you do something you don't want to do, but do it. (laughs) Maybe I'm just... Let's sing. All right. Stand, if you will. I feel like singing. Do you guys, that first song. Let's sing that first song. Should we do that? Sure. Yeah, I feel like ending in a little more fun way. How's that? Should we do that today? It's a new one. It's I Thank God. If you don't know the words, fake it. Come on, put your hands together.
We praise you, Jesus. And God, we go from here with an attitude of gratitude for all you have done. Help us, God, to remain thankful in all the big things, the little things, and everything in between. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.